With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Three, two, one. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here we go. Welcome in, everybody. Episode 241 of the podcast. It is Sweeping America, the Air Tourist Sports Podcast. It is Monday, April 6, 2020. And I got to ask you people, did AT do it again? Or did AT do it again? Great show today. If you listened last week, the Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun joined me on Thursday. We had an incredible conversation. I encourage you to go back and listen to that as we talked about all sorts of different elements, his time at UConn, his best players, great recruiting stories. I even asked him about Ryan Gomes, which was one of the wildest uh, press conferences that you will ever see. Go and Google Ryan Gomes, Jim Calhoun. You'll see craziness. And then you'll understand why I asked him about it. But today, we have moved past Jim Calhoun. We have gone past the former Hall of Famer into a future NBA star. Because as I said, did AT do it again or did AT do it again? Obi Toppin will join me today. Obi Toppin, of course, is the star from Dayton, the player that I believe should be the number one pick in the upcoming 2020 NBA draft. And the reason we're having Obi Toppin on is very simply this. On Tuesday, so ESPN always does this college basketball award show. Obviously, because of the circumstances here in the United States and globally, you can't travel all this stuff. There will be no official award show, but the awards will be handed out on Tuesday on ESPN Sports Center. Obi Toppin is nominated for the for the Player of the Year, and then also for the Carl Malone Award for the nation's top power forward. And so I will talk to him about a variety of stuff. And when I tell you this is a great interview, this is a great interview with a kid that I believe will be a future NBA star. We will talk about his rise from a place where he literally had zero scholarship offers coming out of high school to his stardom at Dayton. Does he believe Dayton could have won the national championship this year? And of course, he explains why he believes he should be the number one pick in the draft. It's the first time that I personally have talked to Obi Toppin and I was so impressed by him, his demeanor, his character, and I think you guys are going to love the interview. Before that though, we are going to do our normal show, talk about some of the biggest topics of the day, and in what is kind of a little bit of a depressing note, on a day that I should be previewing the national championship in college basketball, the national championship would be on the Monday that you're listening to this show, we are instead going to talk football. Because I thought Dabo Sweeney had some interesting comments from this weekend. We, uh, t- uh, The president, President Trump, had some interesting comments. And really what it comes down to is this. We're all trying to figure out when will sports come back as we know them. And there's obviously a bunch of variables, but college football to me is the most fascinating one. And I think by the time I finish this conversation, you'll understand why college football has some barriers and some hurdles to get over that literally no other sport has, not the NBA, not the NHL, not Major League Baseball, not the NFL, not NASCAR. So we'll talk about college football, a little bit about this pushback of canceling the NFL draft, which 
I don't believe. I believe the draft should go on. And then we will get to some basketball news and notes. The only real big story, as best I can tell from the weekend, Ashton Hagens deciding to declare for the NBA draft. He was the starting point guard at Kentucky. But if you follow college basketball even a little bit, and I know everybody who listens to this podcast does, you know very well that this was expected. This is not a surprise at all. Before we get started, I want to remind everybody, Please make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You can do it on iTunes. You can do it on the Podcast Addict app. If you have an Android, Podcast Addict is the way to go. It's the way I download. It's been giving me some issues, but I promise they will get worked out. And if you just go to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast page, you can get all these great interviews. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Please give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like. And what we're doing well, a couple new reviews coming in. First of all, again, thank you to Cole Jones, who told us he'd give us 10 stars if he could. Also, Aman97AB says, great podcast, very fun to listen to. Look forward to each and every episode. So thank you, Aman. Truly appreciate it. I don't know if Aman is short for Amanda. I don't know if it's short for a man who listens to this show, but I appreciate your support. Also, make sure you're following on Instagram, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast on Instagram, and Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com, and I will tell you people really quick before we get to the show, you better be subscribed because I have some great guests coming up. I have so many guests backed up at this point. I may have to do that third episode just about every single week because we have so many great guests lined up. Wednesday may become kind of an interview-heavy show, and then we'll do the regular show Monday and Thursday. I'm still trying to figure out how to balance all of it, but it has become a really fun show. A lot of people are receptive to getting on the phone because it is a very slow time, so make sure you're following on Instagram for all the updates. I should mention, by the way, I do have a YouTube channel. Uh, You can find me on YouTube. If you just want segments from the show, uh, all my big interviews with Bill Walton, with Jim Calhoun, Obi Toppin, they're all up there. So if you're around the house, if you're cleaning, if you're cooking, and you don't want to download the podcast, you can always go to YouTube, listen to those interviews one after the other after the other. Also have some of the older ones, including Leonard Hamilton, Scott Drew, etc. All right, people. No more time to waste. Let's stop stop the nonsense. And let's get right into this because to me, the biggest story that came out of this weekend was, look, it was obviously, it was the president kind of connecting with all of the major leaders in sports. For people who did not see the headline, uh, President Trump got on a call uh, at about noon Eastern on Saturday with Adam Silver from the NBA, with Roger Goodell, with uh, Rob Manfred, the, uh, uh, the guy who runs Major League Baseball. And basically, the commentary from it was very simply this, is that the president is very optimistic um, that we are going to get sports back, and his goal is to have sports back by the fall, have fans in the stands, and have football back to normal. The exact quote uh, per people that were listening to it was, I want fans back in the arenas. I think it's whenever we're ready, as soon as we can, obviously, and the fans want to be back too. They want to see basketball and baseball and football and hockey. They want to see their sports. They want to go on golf courses and breathe nice, breathe. They want to breathe nice, clean, beautiful, fresh air. And so the president was very optimistic. I have no problem with it. I think optimism is what we need at this time. I would add that Dabo Sweeney himself, Mr. Optimism, did very much the same. He commented as well. And this is what Dabo said about the whole situation. My preference is let's get to work and go play. That's the best case scenario. And I think that's going to happen. I don't have any doubt. I have zero doubt that we will be playing and the stands are going to be packed. Dabo Sweeney, of course, talking about college football in the fall. Now, some of you are probably wondering, dude, Torres, it's April 6th. Why are you talking college football? And I think it's because while college football feels a million miles away, I do think there are some hurdles and there are some barriers that college football has to deal with uniquely that these other sports simply do not. And so what do I mean by that? I mean, look, as you guys all know, the biggest topic just really across sports right now is very simply when will sports be back, right? Like it's really funny. I I did. I hope all of you are using this time productively to catch up with friends and family, whether it's by FaceTime, Zoom, Skype, phone call, whatever. But it was funny because I was talking with my mom and my stepdad over the weekend, <laughs> and my stepdad said, like, man, you know, uh, you know, what are you guys talking about in sports? There's nothing to talk about. And I said, actually, 
There's actually kind of a lot to talk about right now, and the most interesting topic is, of course, when actual sports will come back. And I think there's so many variables that are interesting. I think every league is kind of battling different elements to get back on the court or the field of play or the ice or whatever. In basketball, there's obviously been talk of bringing the whole league to one place, maybe Las Vegas, housing everybody under one roof. That sounds good, but it has its own issues. Of course, the safety of the players, players not being able to come and go. Do they want to be sequestered for two, three, four weeks away from their families? So that has issues. Major League Baseball, can they play? Is it a little different because it's outside? How about that? Of course, Major League Baseball, to get ready for the season, they would have to go to Florida. Florida is limiting people coming in and out. So the point is, every sport kind of has its own variables to come back. I do think, however, that major college athletics, and certainly when I talk major college athletics, I mean college football, I think it has the single biggest kind of barrier of entry to get back. Not saying it can't happen, not saying it won't happen, not saying you won't be with your buddies drinking beers in the stands come Labor Day weekend. I'm just saying there's a lot of variables at play here that nobody really is talking about. And so let's kind of get into some of those variables because what I do think is, again, is that we all kind of want answers right now, and it's it's such an uncertain time, but with college football specifically, I think the biggest thing that you really have to remember is what I tell you all the time about what is going on in the world right now. The issues that you are dealing with, and I'm not saying that it's to the extreme. I understand many of you are struggling, and as I've said every episode since the NCAA tournament was canceled, I hope that I do provide you some entertainment here in these weeks and months without football, without sports, without anything. The reality is we're all going through this together in some form or fashion. Some people may have it worse. Some people may know people who are ill. Some people may have uh, issues with their job or with finances, but we're all going through it in some form or fashion. And so why do I bring it up as it pertains to college football? It's that with college football, here is the variable that I think that nobody is talking about. College football players are going through the exact same thing that you are. And what I mean by that is they are at home. They obviously, under normal circumstances, would still be on campus. Many of them would be in spring practice right now. Some spring practices, of course, would be done by now, but many of them are in the middle of spring practice. Many of them would be with the uh, strength and conditioning staff, and that is the important variable here, is that college football athletes are all at home right now. And under normal circumstances, they would be on campus, where at the best schools, at the SEC schools, at the Big Ten schools, at the Big 12 schools, They would be catered to in the way that major college athletes are in this day and age. So they would be, obviously, in great housing. They would be with strength and conditioning coaches every day with individualized workouts to allow them to kind of take advantage of their physical abilities. Obviously, um, you know, a cornerback's going to have a different workout than an offensive tackle, right? They have customized, at the highest level, customized meal plans where uh, a defensive tackle that's trying to put on weight is doing something completely different than a wide receiver that needs to stay at 190 pounds. And so under normal circumstances, that's how it would work. And we are, of course, not in normal circumstances at all right now. And so that is the important thing to remember, is that these college football players are going through the same things that you guys are. Many of them do not have access to normal weight facilities, don't have access to a normal gym, don't have access to what they need to do to get in the shape to play college football at the highest level. Many of them do not have the means to uh, eat the way that they do on campus. Now, I have heard some some places, including Alabama, are actually sending their players customized meals each and every day, which feels like a health hazard, sending all that cardboard all across the country. Neither here nor there. I'm not here to question Nick Saban. But the bottom line remains is that they are living the same fight that you are. Some of them, of course, um, you know, are, are in an enclosed space or are with family and friends in a, a you know, 10 people in a two-bedroom apartment or five people in a one-bedroom apartment. These are the struggles that college football players are going through. And so when you think about college football and the reason that it's so different, now look, obviously, look, every athlete is going through that, right? Basketball players preparing for the NBA draft are going through that. Uh, Football players preparing for the NFL. NBA players are going through that. But what makes it different for college football is this, is that with college football, we just want to put this kind of blanket statement of, oh, we can have games by September 1st by Labor Day weekend. And I get it. And believe me, I want that. I don't want to be Mr. Negativity. I don't want to say that it can't happen. 
But when we start talking about a set in stone date, you really have to work backwards. You can't just say, oh, everything's got to be normal by September 1st to have college football. Well, that's not really the case at all. Not in the case of college football. Now, in the case of the NBA, maybe by May 31st, you can get everybody in one place. You can get them under one roof. It's a completely different deal. But with college football, it's not really about September 1st because you have to remember under normal circumstances on September 1st, the games are kicking off, which means that for a month before that in August, players are starting training camp. They're putting on pads for the first time since the spring. They're working out with their coaches. They're in structured workouts with the coaching staff because again, remember that during the summer, they can only be with the strength and conditioning coaches. But even that, August 1st, really isn't a realistic time frame of when things have to be normal to get college football back on track for September 1st. In reality, it's going to take about probably at the very least, what, five, six weeks on campus, if not two months on campus, working with the strength and conditioning coaches to get their bodies ready to hit in August so they can be ready to play in September. And so that's why college football is so fascinating. You can't just sit there and say, well, things got to be back to normal September 1st so we can have games. You can't even really say things have to be back to normal by August 1st so that we can open training camp. You really have to say that things have to really be back to normal by about June 15th or so, maybe even a week or two earlier to get kids back on campus, get them working with the strength and conditioning coaches, and get them ready just to get ready for fall camp, which then in turn gets them ready for the season. Not to mention, by the way, with college football, don't forget this, a lot of these programs did not have spring practice. Some of them had very limited spring practice. So, so I'm just talking about the physical stuff. I'm not even talking about the mental stuff of understanding the playbook, of being ready to go mentally. I'm just talking about physically. And so when you talk about June 15th at the latest, June 1st, really, that's not really all that much time from now to get things back to normal. And so that is why college football is so interesting. But really, it's beyond that because you could kind of say the same about the NFL, right? I know the NFL is kind of in the same boat. They start kind of the same time as college football, and they kind of have to be on the same schedule. But the NFL opens training camp maybe a week or two earlier, but all these guys obviously are working with individual trainers, all that stuff in the offseason. But this is not that, that has nothing to do with why college football is different. This is why college football is different. It's because they deal with a number of variables that professional sports simply do not have to. And that's very simply this. Is a campus even going to be open to allow students in? Are campuses going to allow students to stay on campus overnight, live in the dorms, go to study, go to meal plans, all that stuff? That's the part that is that I think a lot of fans, and I'll, 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 by the way, let me backtrack. I'll include myself on this. When Kirk Herbstreet said the other day, oh, there's no, you know, he said something to the effect of, I would be very surprised if there is college football in the fall. I was kind of critical of him, and I still kind of am to a degree, because I, I, I still think it's a little early to speculate where we will be definitively in September or even in October with a postponed season, which we'll get into in a minute. But like the genesis of Kirk Herbstreit's argument was what is what we're is what I am essentially talking about right now. It's not about having games on September 1st. It's having things back to normal on June 1st or June 15th or at the absolute latest July 1st because the season doesn't you know things don't start the day the season starts. They start months and months and months in advance. And so where college football has an issue that the NFL doesn't is that you know, there are some states where there are no stay-at-home orders right now, right? Missouri, which has the Kansas City Chiefs, does not have a stay-at-home order. In theory, they could have training camp as normal, and I'm not saying that it's, it's different for every state, but they could have training camp as normal, whatever, blah, 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 this and that. The issue is with colleges is that college, everything is done on campus, and every campus is kind of run individually, and that is why college football is so different. I'll give you an example. Auburn University right now is going to be closed at the very least for the first two summer sessions, which wrap around the first or second week of July. So in theory, Auburn is only having online classes through the first of July. 
They could open up. They could continue to suspend. But the bottom line remains is that right now, no one will be on campus for Auburn until June 1st. I'll take it a step further. Ohio State, if I read correctly, and I think I did, I'm a pretty good reader, learned how to read about 30 years ago, so I should be pretty good at it right now. Ohio State is not allowing anyone on campus. All classes are online through July 31st which means that unless something changes, no one can be on campus until July 31st at Ohio State. And understand, this is Ohio State. This is the Ohio State University. I'm not talking about Troy. I'm not talking about uh, Wake Forest or Washington State or, I don't know, Colorado. We're talking about the Ohio State University. If they can't get kids back on campus until July 31st, does that really sound like we are going to have football by, August, by, by, by September 1st? It's certainly possible, and we'll get into the possibilities of what could change things in a positive way in a minute. But does that sound realistic? Because it doesn't sound realistic to me, and Ohio State carries weight with the power brokers at, in college football. And if Michigan or Penn State or Michigan State or Alabama or Clemson can have kids on campus June, 3rd, June 1st or whatever it is, June 15th or July 1st, and Ohio State can't for another, for another month and their kids can't work out with the strength and conditioning staff, you think we're going to start football with Ohio State a month behind everybody else? Because I don't. It's the same with Auburn. You think they're going to the, – the campus is closed through whatever I said, July 1st or June 30th or whatever it is. If Alabama gets kids on campus before that, you think it's fair for Auburn to open the season on the time frame that we're talking about? I don't think so. And so these are all the variables that we have to talk about. And again, these, this is why this topic is actually incredibly fascinating to me because, as I said a minute ago, Every state has different rules, regulations, who can come into the state, who can leave the state. Is there even a shutdown of business? It is just a fascinating topic to me. Now, look, what I'll also say is that while I'm being doom and gloom, like there are there, there are positives that could lead this to, to the time frame that I've laid out, which is basically June 1st. There are positives that could lead us to having things back to normal on June 1st. And I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I'm a medical expert. All I do is read a ton about this stuff like the rest of you. But what I can tell you definitively is this, is that Italy now for about two weeks, and they were about two, three weeks ahead of us in terms of when this whole thing started, for about two weeks now, they have seen declining cases and declining deaths with this illness. Doesn't mean they're past it. It doesn't mean that we're underselling um, all the people that have passed away, but it does feel like they are taking positive steps in the right direction to get this thing under control. So maybe in two or three weeks, we do have things a little bit more under control. Maybe by two or three weeks, uh, there is a light at the tunnel. And maybe in two or three weeks, which would be May 1st, we can definitively say, okay, we can open things up back to normal on June 1st. If we can do that, then yes, I do believe that college football can go on as normal. Yes, I do believe that Ohio State, if they feel like this issue is under control within their state's borders, and I should say Ohio was one of the most progressive uh, states as far as this is concerned in terms of the original corona outbreak. Remember, Ohio was, I think, the first state to cancel uh, any event that had fans in the stands. I believe they were. But yes, if Ohio, if Ohio feels like this is under control, can there be an exemption to get the football players on campus? Of course. Can there be an exemption in Alabama to get the football players on campus at Auburn if they feel like this is under control? Of course. And so I'm not saying doom and gloom, the sky is falling, there's no way that Dabo's right and there's no way that the president is right that we're going to get fans in the stands playing football by September. I'm just saying be careful. Another variable which I found very interesting that, that also has to be considered is this with college football is will they consider playing games without fans in stands? In a worst case scenario where students aren't allowed back on campus for the fall, would they consider playing games? And that's another variable that I think college football has to deal with that the pro sports don't. I think the NFL, if they have to play games without fans in the stands, I think they absolutely will. But college football, I can say almost definitively they won't, and it's for one simple reason. If you don't have fans in the stands, it probably means you don't have students on campus. And if you don't have students on campus, again, it doesn't feel feasible 
that we're going to have players on campus. And it was interesting because I will give credit where it's due. This is a guy that uh, in the past I haven't liked all of the work that he's done, but this guy did a good job of kind of writing a nice article about this, and that's Pete Thamel from Yahoo Sports. He wrote an article late last week that said, here's the biggest factor in college football returning this fall. And he hit on, on a lot of this stuff, and I think I'm going a little bit more in depth than he did. But the one thing that, that I found interesting was he asked administrators about the possibility of playing without fans in stands, and basically everybody said no. Um, I'll give you an example. The, um, the, the Big 12 commissioner, Bob Bowlesby, was kind of asked about the idea of um, you know, if, if students aren't on campus and we're having to play without fans, could football go on? And he gave about the best answer that he could. He just said no. The participants are students, so if there aren't regular students on campus, we're not going to have other students on campus, let alone other students on campus playing football. So these are all variables. They are all things to consider, and it is why college football is the most fascinating sport to follow over the next few weeks. As I said a minute ago, doesn't mean that things can't get better in the next few weeks. Doesn't mean that things can't go back to quote-unquote normal by June 1st or July, uh, or June 15th or July 1st. What it does mean is that I think we have to be re ready and realistic for college football, as crazy as it sounds, to potentially look different than we expect. As I said a minute ago, I don't think there will be fans in the stands, but would I be surprised if we have this thing, say, under control by July 1st, that we push back the season until October 1st? I do think that's possible. I heard from somebody that I trust in college football has kids that play college football, is involved in college football, say that he's heard a proposal where we basically just cancel the first couple games of the season, which are essentially out-of-conference games that nobody cares about anyway. Not saying it will happen, saying that's a possibility. Do we start October 1st instead of September 1st? Do we start uh, with no conference games and go right into a conference opener? I don't know. What I am telling you, though, is very simply this. If you're looking at all these proposals and saying, well, by September 1st, everything's going to be fine. Well, everything might be okay by September 1st, but it's not really about September 1st. As I said from the beginning, you got to work backwards. You got to have kids on campus on August 1st, basically to open training camp, and you really got to have kids on campus somewhere in June, probably the front end of June, to get their bodies just ready for training camp and ready to go so that they will be good to go for the opening weekend of college football, which we all hope was going to come and it'll be normal. And I'm praying, man. And I am praying. I don't mean to be doom and gloom, but my job is to talk about sports, talk about the impact at this particular moment that this virus is having on sports and how it all could play out. And I just think we got to start talking about college football as everything being ready to go by June 1st, not September 1st, which sounds crazy. Let's move on. And I do want to talk about some positive because I just spent all this time talking about the negative stuff that could come with college football. There is one event, though, in sports that I do think definitively should go on as planned, and that is the NFL draft. And it's so funny, right? Because I just been, oh my God, college football, the sky is falling, AT is ruining everybody's Monday. But the NFL draft is a completely different story. And this past week, there was a lot of talk about the NFL draft. Roger Goodell basically made an announcement that the draft will be done from home. Teams will not meet at the facility. They won't be getting together like they normally do. You won't see the webcam or, or the camera in the, 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 the war room with everybody together and high-fiving and all that stuff. But the draft will go on, and I give Roger Goodell credit for this. Everybody loves to criticize Roger Goodell. He didn't handle this right. He didn't handle that right. Tom Brady and Deflategate. He should have done this. He should have done that. I think Roger Goodell is doing everything right, right, everything right, right now. Not to say he's been perfect, but I think he's doing everything right, right now. I liked that he had training or he had free agency, excuse me, go on as planned. I liked that for a week we had Tom Brady going to the to the Buccaneers to distract us. I like that we had um, Philip Rivers going to the Colts, uh, Teddy Bridgewater going to the Panthers. I like that we had all of this to distract us, and I believe that the NFL draft should go on as planned. And for people who didn't see this whole controversy, I know all of you guys are in the middle of just kind of a crazy time in your lives where um, some of you are working more, some of you are working from home with your kids, and you're, you have to be a, uh, an employee, but you also have to be a teacher. And so maybe you missed this story. But essentially, the argument is that while the NFL is going to have the draft as planned, many people are pushing back on Roger Goodell, 
and essentially saying, like, we don't think this should go on. We don't think this should be a moment of celebration for these young kids who are going to be instantly millionaires at a time when the, when the economy is going in the wrong direction, where health-wise people aren't healthy. This isn't a time to celebrate. And while I, to a degree, kind of understand that, I mean, if, if, if you're struggling and there are a lot of people struggling right now, um, you don't want to see, uh, you know, Joe Burrow, you know, jumping up and down and yelling and screaming. But on the opposite side, you kind of do. And first of all, when, when Joe Burrow celebrates, when Joe Burrow hugs his dad, if hugging's even allowed on camera, I don't even know, it's not going to be about, um, you know, being a millionaire or ch- making life-changing money. It's going to be about fulfilling a lifelong dream. And I like the idea of having this draft as planned, even if it isn't going to be under the bright lights of Las Vegas, it's not going to be this crazy event, but continuing to have the draft as planned because I do think that for at least one night, two nights, three nights really, is I do think that we have to get back to normal. And I'm not saying that things are going to be normal for a while. I just spent 20 minutes talking about how things might not be normal by September, but for one or two or three nights, I think we need a distraction. I think all of us need to get off Netflix. I think all of us need to stop watching cable news and local news and hearing about all this awfulness that's going on in the world and see something that makes us feel normal. See something that makes us feel good about ourselves. See something that gets us excited about something, even if it is six months down the road. You mean to tell me that a Cincinnati Bengals fan, I know we got a lot of them listening, This show is insanely popular in Kentucky and Ohio where there are a ton of Bengals fans. You mean to tell me that with everything going on right now, a Bengals fan isn't going to crack an extra beer on that first Thursday of the NFL draft when Joe Burrow becomes a Bengal? Or a Miami Dolphins fan isn't going to crack an extra beer when Tua Tonga-Viola becomes a Miami Dolphin? Of course they are, and it's what we need right now. We need positive right now. We need normal right now. And sports is the way to provide it, right? Part of the reason that you guys come to sports in general is because it's a distraction from real life. And even under normal circumstances, you have a bad day at work, you have a bad week at work, you go through a divorce, you get in a fight with your wife, you get in a fight with your husband, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, you have a death in the family, whatever it is. For those three hours, you can put on the football game, you can put on your favorite college basketball team. And it gives you a sense of normalcy. It gives you a sense of distraction. And that is what sports has always provided. And it has certainly provided it in moments of weakness and in moments where there's uncertainty within the country. And I know over the last week, I'm certainly not the first person to say this, so I'm not taking credit for it. A lot of people have said it. But in a lot of ways, there are parallels to 9-11 here. And I hate to do it and I hate to compare. And I'm not saying one tragedy is worse than the other. But for those of you who are old enough to remember, When 9-11 happened, there was so much uncertainty in the world, and things were getting canceled and postponed and delayed, and everybody was trying to figure out, when is the right time to do something quote-unquote normal, to do something fun? When will it be okay to laugh again, to joke again, to bust each other's you-know-what again, to, 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 to have fun again, like I just said? And as it turned out, the World Series that October really provided a lot of that. We all remember George Bush walking to the the rubber at Yankee Stadium a couple months after airplanes hit the Twin Towers and throwing that strike right down the middle. And I'm not trying to be corny or cliche or whatever. It when when George Bush threw that ball right down the middle of the plate, it made us all feel good like okay, like we can move on, like we're not moving on because there are still people uh you know, there's still rubble being cleared from New York City but we can move on. We feel normal again. And I think that that is why we need the NFL draft. Not because players are celebrating and not because we care that much about who the the Jets take at number eight or whatever it is. It's that it will make us feel normal again. And so I am absolutely in favor of this draft going on as planned. I know people are against it. I don't really care. I think this is the right thing to do, and I'm glad that Roger Goodell has decided to do this. All right, let's wrap on some basketball because um, it's primarily a basketball show, and I talked a lot of football today. But what I will say is this, is that really a relatively quiet weekend of news outside of late Sunday, 
when Ashton Hagens from the University of Kentucky decided to declare for the draft. And, and you know, this is one, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it. The bottom line is, this has basically been expected ever since Ashton Hagens decided a year ago around this time that he was going to come back for his sophomore year of college. He was obviously a highly recruited player. He reclassified. And the moment that he declared for Kentucky, most people assumed he was only going to be there for one year. When he does come back for a second year, it becomes pretty clear that there will be no third year. And I know there was some little scuttlebutt about the way the season ended. And I believe when Nick Richards did his goodbye post, you know, Ashton Hagen said something about, we're going to miss you, which led some fans to think, well, is he saying that that means that he'll be back and Nick Richards won't? But this was always the assumption Ashton Hagen was going to go and I think he'll be good. And I don't really have a ton to talk about with Ashton Hagens because I don't think there's much to say. I think he was a really good college point guard. I think he'll be really good in the NBA. And I think the one thing that college taught him is he now kind of knows who he is, right? And I think this is sometimes the problem with the NBA. And we're going to have plenty of time to talk about the NBA draft, especially because I'm going to have the number one pick in the draft coming up soon and Obi Toppin. But with Ashton Hagens, um, with Ashton Hagens, I think part of what made his time at Kentucky worthwhile is that he learned the things that he needs to do to be successful in the NBA. And that's play really good defense, and that is run a team on offense. And obviously the NBA is a little bit different now. There's not as many true point guards versus combo guards, and all sorts of guys are handling the ball and doing all that stuff. But my problem with the NBA draft in general is that too often we rush to take these one-and-dones who have never played a role, who don't understand what it's like to come off the bench, who don't understand what it's like to not average 18 points a game, and they really struggle in the adjustment to the NBA. Well, Ashton Hagens, he went through his struggles in his freshman year at Kentucky. He went through his sophomore struggles at, as a sophomore at Kentucky. Obviously, things did not end the way that he wanted to. But he learned that to be on the court of Kentucky, he had to do two things, and that was lead the offense, score when opportunity was uh, available, and of course, as I said a minute ago, play really good defense. I guess that's technically three things. Just work with me here. Whatever. I got quarantine brain going on. Relax. But those three things, and I think because he learned how to do that at the college level, I think it's going to allow him to have success at the NBA level. Again, I, I wish I had more to say but this has just been expected. I think he'll be really good. I think, especially without the workouts, I think he ends up being a first-round draft pick. I really do. Because at the end of the day, and I said this uh, on many previous episodes, and I will say it on many future episodes, for all the hype and all the excitement about the one-and-done kids, once you get past about the 16th, 17th, 15th pick in the draft, you know what you have? You have NBA teams that have made the playoffs, that are coming off in a normal year a playoff appearance. They don't need the high upside star. They don't need the guy that can one day average 30 a game. They need the guy that is actually okay averaging five a game and playing one small role in doing that. And so in previous years, we've seen it with Grant Williams, who I referenced on last episode, and some of the guys from Villanova, Josh Hard, and whatever. And I think that Ashton Hagens kind of fits that profile perfectly. So I think he will be very good, and I think that he will be a first-round pick. And I think some team in the back end of the first round is just going to say, you know what, this kid knows how to run an offense. He plays really good defense. He doesn't have to score 20 points a game to be happy, and I think he will be successful. I expect Ashton Hagens to go in the first round. All right, I think that's it. I think that's all for this segment of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. And in a moment, we will get to Obi Toppin. Obi Toppin, of course, is the National Player of the Year. He's already won multiple National Players of the Year awards, including the most important one, the one that I named a few months back or a few weeks back when I named him my National Player of the Year. And again, as a quick reminder, um, Obi Toppin is part of that ESPN awards show. Obviously, because of the current climate, there will be no awards show, but... But, 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 they will still announce the award winners on Tuesday on ESPN, uh, and it's going to be a great show. I encourage everybody to go watch it. Again, Tuesday, ESPN noon, that is when all the awards will be handed out, nation's top point guard, shooting guard, small forward, power forward, center, as well as the National Player of the Year. Obi Toppin is up for the Carl Malone Award, which goes to the top power forward, and he is up for the Wooden Award, which goes to the National Player of the Year. So that is all for this segment of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I want to thank you guys for listening. 
Please make sure, if you're not already, to subscribe to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. iTunes, if you have an Android, Podcast Addict is the way to go. Podbean, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure to subscribe to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that stuff. Thank you to those of you who have checked in and who have left ratings and reviews. Also, make sure you're following on Instagram, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast on Instagram. And finally, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. That is all for this segment. Uh, shout out to my boy Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. And now it is time for Obi Toppin for a final time. Remember, Tuesday, noon Eastern, the awards are going to be handed out on ESPN Sports Center. So everybody tune in. And, of course, Obi Toppin is up for the Carl Malone Award as well as the National Player of the Year Award. No more time to waste. Here is my new best friend, my guy from Dayton, Obi Toppin. All right, and joining me on the phone now, I am very excited to have this guest on. He is a consensus All-American Atlantic 10 Player of the Year, and he is up for the Malone Award, which will be announced on Tuesday, SportsCenter ESPN, noon Eastern, a guy that I absolutely loved watching in college basketball this year. Obi Toppin is on the phone. My man, how you doing? I'm good. How you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you coming on. First and foremost, I would just ask, you know, I mean, I know uh, you've probably been getting this question a lot lately, but how are you, your family, how's everybody holding up? I mean, I know you're originally from New York. I know we're based out of New York. It's kind of a scary time. How are you and your family holding up? Uh, everything is going good over here. Um, right now, I'm in Jersey in a house with me and my brother and my girlfriend. Huh. Uh, we're, we're here just is quarantine and uh we have a gym there us where me and my me and my brother are going in and getting some one-on-one time and just working on things we need to work on to to help us so uh like we're, we're doing fine over here uh the family's doing good so that is the first and most important thing. Really quick, I mentioned uh, you are, in fact, up for the Malone Award, uh, nation's top power forward. You've been named a national player of the year by other outlets, All-American, all the stuff that I mentioned. Just real quick, you know, I mean, your story we'll get into in a minute, but, I mean, you were a guy that coming out of high school, you didn't have a lot of the hype of some of the guys that you'll be competing with in the NBA draft. I mean, how surreal has even just this last year been? You had a ton of success in your redshirt freshman year, but to to go from a year ago where you're testing the draft waters, all that stuff, to where you are now, national player of the year, you know, Dayton had a historic season. I mean, how surreal has the last year been for you? Uh, it, it's definitely been, been like, a, a dream for me. Uh, like, none of this feels, feels real, but uh, it, it, it's been amazing this whole season. Uh, my teammates and my coaches push me every single day to be the person and player that I am. And, like, without those guys, I wouldn't be, uh, like, either the personal player that I am. So, like, I get thanks and credit to uh, all those guys. Um, number one, like, I, I really like to thank Jalen and Trey mm-hmm. because those guys, like, they, they push me the most. And uh, Jalen being my roommate and being my my closest brother, he, he he's definitely on my, on my rear end all the time uh, trying to help me get better. So, um, like I get thanks for him all the time, and I, I love all the, all of them. For people who don't know, Jalen Crutcher and Trey Landers, two uh, two of your teammates at Dayton. Uh, you know, Obi, I mentioned a minute ago, but you had kind of a surreal story. And for people who don't, who aren't familiar with your background, they're going to get familiar over these next couple months as we get ready for the yeah. NBA draft. But can you take us through kind of your journey? Because you were a guy. For people who don't know. Um, you know, I, I believe you were about six four when you were a junior in high school. No Division yeah. One offers coming out of your senior year. Just take us through your journey because it's an incredible story. It's been incredible to watch from a distance. Yeah, so uh, like you said, junior year I was a six four. Uh, I was I was mostly a point guard or shooting guard. Um, I didn't get a lot of playing time my junior year because I just moved from Florida to New York, and they kind of already had a set team already when I got to Austin in high school. So I, I didn't get a lot of playing time. There were there were games that I didn't even play. But then um, that summer went by. Uh, I was playing games in the, in the city park, uh, like Rucker Park, Dykeman, Hoops in the Sun, all those type of parks. 
And when I when I went back for my senior year, I was around like six five, six six ish, and I I just started dunking. Like I caught my first dunk probably in my first game in my senior year of high school, and uh, I, I went through that year averaging about twenty twenty one points, eight rebounds, and, and like four assists. But us being in the Hudson Valley, it didn't it didn't have a lot of college coaches coming through there so it was hard for me to get looks from college coaches so I was going to end up signing to a JUCO uh, Monroe College but when I went to, when I was about to sign to Monroe College my uncle Victor Moneros he he said that he was going to put me into a prep school so that I don't have to waste any years going to a JUCO school so I went to a prep school for a year when I got there I think I averaged around 16 to 18 points, um, eight eight rebounds again, and like three or four assists. And after after prep school year, so many schools started to offer me Dayton being one of them. And when I got to Dayton, it was just the community, uh, the fans, um, the coaches, the players. Every everybody was just so welcoming, and it felt like home when I went on my visit there. So that's why I committed. So. Um, and I, I've read stories where as soon as you got off the plane in the airport, like people were asking for selfies, right? In Dayton. Yeah, I was, I was taking pictures with, with <laughs> fans already as if I already tried to go there. So That's a pretty good indication of how crazy those fans are. Um, you know, one thing that I found really interesting uh, is even when you get to Dayton, you did have to sit out for a year. And listen, you know, I, yeah. I understand, listen, everybody wants to play all that stuff. Um, but you know, you look at a guy, Malachi Flynn, who was an all American this year, had to sit out last year as a transfer. You sat out, uh, your first year at Dayton. Do you think that that year helped? I mean, I know you would have loved to play, but do you, uh, do you think it would have helped? Do you think it did help you, uh, to sit out that year? Yes, most definitely. Uh, the way I looked at it, uh, coming into Dayton, coach told me there was a chance I would have to sit, sit out a year because of, uh, academic reasons from high school. So I understood that, and I was like, "All right, if I have to sit out, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take it as I get another cheat year to get better." Mm-hmm. And um, everybody in my family, and everybody uh, who like all my teammates and other coaches were so supportive, and like, so like they helped me with the process. So when I was when I was sitting out, uh, I was doing extra time in the gym, extra time in the in the weight room, uh, other than when I was with the team. So that I can like get better and do more to to help myself for next year. Um, sitting now, I, I was able to to watch the other teams in our conference and other teams that uh, Dayton was playing against, and I got a feel of what what it will be like when I get on the court. So me being able to practice with the guys and like getting a feel of kind of the the tempo I need to get used to and the the speed I gotta get used to. It was just, it was just help. It was helping me for the for my sophomore year of college. Yeah, and that's what I took it. I took it as another year of uh, uh, to get better. Well, and that's what I was gonna say is I've talked to other players that say that not only do you get physically better, but mentally you get sharper because you can watch the game from a different angle. Is that something definitely. that you kind of noticed? Yeah. Yep, definitely. Very good. Sophomore year, which was really your redshirt freshman year, you absolutely blow up. Um, and you actually entered the NBA draft last year, and I would just be curious. Yes, yeah, what did you what did you learn from that experience? Because it, it was uh, obviously you were a kid that maybe could have gotten drafted last year, um, but uh-huh. you you decide to come back. You go through the process. You have workouts. What did you learn from that experience? Um, going to those workouts, uh, I, I worked out with five teams, uh, five, five NBA teams. And going into the workouts, I kind of knew that I, I had a feel that I was going to come back to school, mm-hmm. but I wanted to get a taste of what it's like at the next level. Sure. Also, I knew that going to the workouts, uh, the coaches and the assistant coaches were going to give me um, feedback on, on things I would, I would need to work on to, to help me for next year's draft so or that can help me for the next season, uh, which was my my redshirt sophomore season. And um, when when I got all the feedback right away during the summer, I was I was working out uh, all the stuff that they said I needed to work on. So 
as soon as the season came, it was like, boom, uh, they told me I need to uh, have better shot consistency. I, I need to make sure my percentages are good. Uh, they said I need to get more rebounds. I need to make sure I get eight to ten rebounds uh, a game. So it was just, it was different things that I needed to work on that, that the NBA team said, and that's what I did. Could you feel yourself getting better over last summer? Because it was obviously a monumental leap that you made this year. Uh, definitely, just because uh, the, my teammates were, were saying that they could see it. So when they when they were telling me they could see it and they they were saying it was easy, it was starting to get easier playing with me because the game started to slow down for me. And when I caught the ball, like I'll, I'll always look and not just rush to to try and do something. I'll, I'll take my time. I'll see if there's a man open. If not, like I'm gonna start backing my man down and doing things to like help my team win, and not it wasn't only for me. So I feel like going through the process it helped me. Uh, slow my game down so that I can I can make better reads. So when you decided to come back, I found this quote from your mom who was interviewed about the, the process, and she said, I hope he makes the right choice and goes back to school. He has grown so much this year, but he still has a little more growth to do. He has a lot more game that is going to come out, and when you think about the team they're going to have next year, it's going to be something. He'll grow even more on the court and off, and I think this is the perfect place to do it. I mean, can your mom, does she have a crystal ball or what, man? What? That is incredible. Oh, oh no, but it's like she knew. It's like she knew uh, that if I go back to school, it would be better for me. But it, it, it showed, like, uh, when I when I got back to school, everything started to click for myself and the team, and everybody was just bought into what the coaches were asking, and we just had a tremendous uh, season, and it was, it was amazing. And when did you know? I mean, you know, you go through summer workouts. You feel like you're getting better. Your teammates are telling you. When did you know things are different for the Dayton Flyers? We have a chance to do something real special this year. Honestly, when I found out was when we had our first conditioning and on-court workout okay. uh, during the summer. Um, the amount of focus and grit that everybody had uh, doing the workout and doing the conditioning it was just, it was amazing. Like, everybody knew that, oh, this can be a special year if we put in the work. Um, so, like, when we was on the court, uh, coaches drawing up plays, and everybody's just eyes, eyes on coach, eyes on the board. And it's just, it was, it was amazing seeing all, like, the amount of focus that everybody had uh, from the jump. And I knew from there it was just, just going to be a, a scary season. Well, and I was going to say, what about Maui? I mean, Maui seemed like the jumping yes, off point yeah. for you guys. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead, my man. That's definitely Maui. I was going to, I was going to uh, talk about that when we got to Maui. It was just, it was ridiculous how how, how focused we were. Um, first game, Georgia. Uh, I remember sitting in the media timeout, and I think we just went on like a eleven to twelve zero run. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're we're sitting there, and we're just, I'm looking, and everybody is just focused, like no, like the crowd was going crazy because we have amazing fans, but even the people who were sitting out down to the walk-ons, everybody was just huddled up, looking at the board, looking at coach, listening closely to to what we had to have to do to continue to uh to dominate, and it it was amazing seeing that all the way up to the Kansas game and. After, even though we lost the Kansas game, we came out of there knowing that we can be a really special team, and it, it showed for the rest of the season. Well, and that's what I was exactly what I was going to ask: is Kansas at the time we didn't know that they like you guys would go on to this incredible season, but it is still a, a power conference school. It is one of the best programs year in and year out. Yes. Uh, even though you lost and it was in overtime, did that give you guys confidence going into you know the rest of the season? Yes, definitely. Kansas being the number one team in the country and being being known like they they have history. Uh, playing against Kansas, playing against Bill Self, uh, it, it was just like we we knew that if we can if we can take Kansas to the to the next and and uh, play them in overtime in Maui, it, it was going to be a special season. Just because not a lot of people play Kansas and and play them how we played them. Uh, they, they, like, I talk to a lot of Kansas players all the time, 
and they say like we we were one of the hardest teams they played this year. Mm-hmm. And uh, from a Kansas player, a Kansas coach saying that it it really means a lot. Like we put in a lot of work to to deserve what we did this season, and uh, it was amazing. So I want to talk about the end of the season in a minute. Uh, anything else from the the regular season, and we'll get to the A10 tournament and how everything ended, but anything else that really stands out? I mean, you guys were just such a fun team night in, night out. Yep. That was the thing that kind of stood out to me as just an outside observer was you guys brought it every single night, and I don't think people yes, appreciate how hard it is for a group of guys 18 to 21 years old. But, but I mean, when you look back outside yeah. of the ending, what stands out from the regular season? Uh, first of all, it, it's definitely not easy winning. Uh, you definitely got to put in the work. But uh, what stood out to me was, like, we had re- two really good leaders. Uh, first of all, everybody on our team was a leader. So um, don't don't get me wrong when I say our leaders. But, like, Trey and uh, Ryan definitely had the main voices on the team. Those two guys led our team to, to every single win. And... They're basically our blue guys. Without those guys on the floor, I don't, I don't think we'll accomplish anything that we accomplished this season just because those guys do the dirty work. Uh, uh, Ryan being a plus-minus guy, his, 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 his mindset is set to, I always have to be in the plus. I can never be a minus. So he's going to make sure he never turns the ball over. Um, he, he always gets assists. He always gets uh, a point. Like He's going to make sure our team is doing the right thing uh, always. And Trey, he's just the bulldog of our team. Like he's always, uh, he he he's always doing the dirty work. Uh, whether that's diving, diving on the floor for a loose ball, or even getting uh like rebounds that we really need down down in the stretch. So it's like those those two guys right there. I gotta give uh, a lot of credit to those two because without them, we wouldn't be the team that we are. What was the the end of the season like? Because for people who don't know, you guys were one of the few teams. You didn't open your conference tournament until Friday, so it yeah. wasn't as though you were getting ready to play and you were pulled off the court or you had played the night before. You guys were one of the yeah. few teams that kind of watched it from a distance. Take us through that Wednesday, Thursday, Friday uh, as the season, unfortunately, and it was unfortunate for a lot of teams, but did come to an end. Yeah, so uh, so we practiced uh, Monday, Tuesday, and got on the plane Wednesday, and we we knew that we we was gonna practice on Thursday at at the uh we was gonna practice Thursday and and like know the team that we was gonna play. It was either gonna be U UMass or BCU. And we was in the hotel the night before and we're just sitting there like uh we seeing all these tweets coming out that uh there's tournaments getting cancelled and we're praying that ours don't get cancelled mm-hmm. and uh Wednesday night when when coach called for a meeting, we we kind of knew what it was, and he had, he had tears in his eyes. Mm-hmm. And as soon as we all seen that, we we knew that it was over. And it it was just crazy how everybody in the in the in the room just went silent, and it was it was crazy. And coach just said, uh, "We gotta get on the plane uh, Thursday Thursday afternoon and head back to Dayton. Uh, the season's over." And once he said that, it was just like. Wow, all all the things that we did this year, and they just want to end it like that. So it was just, it, it was definitely a, a heartbreak. Uh, but things happen, and we just got to be grateful for what we accomplished this year. So, well, and that's what I was going to say. What was his message? Was it simply be proud of what? What What was the message that he delivered to you guys? Uh, the message that he told us was basically like he he's super proud of us. Uh, from day one, he knew how special we can be. Uh, he loves every single one of us. He, he he wants nothing but the best from every single one of us. And we we just all gathered in a circle, and we do this thing uh, that at the end of practice or games or anything, we say, let us be grateful while we're holding hands in a circle. And we just all say what we're grateful for. Oh. And at the end of the day, we, we was all in tears, but... We we said what we were grateful for, and we had to say our goodbyes and basically go go our separate ways because they started and they ended up uh, shutting schools down, and nobody can be on campus. So from there, it was just it was crazy how everything was going. 
Yeah, I know everybody says, you know, there are bigger things, and there are, and we all understand the severity of what's yeah. going on. But how disappointing yeah. how disappointing is it for you that that group, your brothers, like you said, that you guys didn't get that chance to compete for a championship, not because you would have won or because a lot you would have lost, but because we'll never right. know the right the actual outcome. Uh, it, it was definitely disappointing, just because I know like everybody on our team dreams of playing in the tournament. Um, playing in the tournament is is like you don't get those chances a lot, and definitely being in the A ten, do it doing what we accomplished this year, like. Not not a lot of teams can say that they went into their conference and went undefeated mm-hmm. and and dominated a conference like that. Uh, us doing what we did this year, uh, going undefeated, uh, taking Kansas down to the stretch, Colorado down to the stretch, losing to them in overtime, and, and just beating every team, like dominating every single game. Like where we we knew that we was a really special team and for it to end the way that it ended, it was, it was definitely upsetting. But like Jalen, Trey, Ryan, like especially Trey and Ryan, just because it was their senior year. Like I knew, I knew it was hard for them the most just because like it was their senior year and it was their year to, to prove to everybody that they, they deserve to be in the talk with everybody else. And uh, for, for it to end like that, we, we had something to prove when we got to the tournament. And for it to end like that, it, it was bad. But we still got to be grateful. Yeah, well, and that was what I was going to ask you is there was so much talk throughout the season. This team plays in the A-10. That team, uh, you know, uh, they won 30 games, but quote-unquote, who did they beat? What would you say to a fan of another school that said, yeah, Dayton, they had a nice season. They they couldn't have won the tournament. What would you say to that fan? Honestly, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even say anything just because, like I knew the team that we were. Like we we don't have to we don't have to explain to someone who like who's a fan. You know what I yeah. mean? Uh, fan, fans always talk whether it's our fans or another fan. Like fans are going to be fans, but inside of the basketball lines, like other teams knew that how dangerous we were and how special of a team we were. Coaches were talking about us. Uh, players were talking about us. A lot of media was talking about us. So like. For a fan to, to say something like we we don't really encourage or or pay attention to what what a lot of fans say just because like fans are going to be fans like whether it's our fans or or other people's fans so we 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 just knew the team that we were and we we proved a lot and uh, we we get to prove in the tournament but uh, we proved a lot before then. Fan is short for fanatic, and so uh, yes, like you said, uh, fans will say anything. Um, real quick, couple quick questions. We'll let you go. How is the draft prep process going? Just because it's such a surreal time, like you said, uh, you can't be in the gym with more than you know your brother. But but what are you actually doing to to, to prep for the draft? And have you heard anything about what this process may look like? Because there's so many people that are kind of asking so many questions right now. Uh-huh. So I haven't heard about anything uh, uh, about the draft stuff, but I'm just I'm working with my agency. Uh, I just signed with an agency, CAA Sports, and um, they're they're giving me workouts that I can do. I have a gym near me, and they're giving me things that I can work on to get better weight weight wise and uh, skill wise on the court. So um, they they're giving me workouts. They're giving me uh uh enough things to, to help me for when the time comes for me to get back on the court, I'll be ready. So um so that's how that's how I'm spending my days uh every single day from now on. And how you know, have you had the chance I, I would assume yet you probably outside of the teams that you met with last year, you probably ha- don't have a ton of correspondence with NBA personnel. Is there anything that when you you did this last year and you use this opportunity to your advantage, um, what are you hoping to impress upon people? Because I think there is a realistic shot, as crazy as it sounds, that you might end up being the number one pick in this draft, my man. Uh, honestly, I'm 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 really I'm really going into workouts just being myself, mm-hmm. uh, being the person and, and player that I am. I feel like that 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 shows a lot. Uh, I'm a very respectful person and a joyful person, and my personality can can help me go a long way. And like what what happens on the court is like I'm just I'm just gonna be the player that I am. Like I'm never gonna do something that 
is out of character. Like, I know what I'm good at, and I know the things that I'm not good at. So I'm not going to put myself in situations to 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 do bad. So I'm always going to do what's going to help me, and the people around me are going to do or is going to help me with that. So. Does seeing somebody like John Morant, who had a unique path in his own right and the success that he had in the NBA, does that help you or make you feel at ease at all that, you know, I'm going to be okay, I'm going to be able to handle this. Ja went through something similar last year, smaller school, and he's having a ton of success. Uh, yeah, definitely. John Morant is an amazing player. Uh, in, in college, he was also an amazing player. Uh, myself, like, uh, I, I feel like if I, if I like, have the same mentality that uh, John had. I'm I'm gonna go into the NBA perfectly fine. I have to I have to go in there and and start a whole new life again. Uh, just like I was a freshman in high school, freshman in college, and now basically I'm a freshman in the NBA. So I gotta go in there, uh, willing to learn, willing to get better, and and willing to do whatever I can to help whatever team I play for win. And so. Um, that that's the that's the mindset that I need to go in, in into this uh, league, and I feel like wherever I go, uh, I'm gonna have help with that. So. Absolute last question. I'll let you go, and I so appreciate the time. Remember, Obi Toppin up for the Carl Malone Award, which is going to be announced Tuesday on Sports Center. Pretend I'm an NBA GM. Explain to me why, and this is no disrespect to any of the other players that you're competing with, explain to me why you believe Obi Toppin should be the number one pick in the 2020 NBA draft. I just feel like uh, I put in in a lot of work this this season uh, with myself and the team to to accomplish what we accomplished. Uh, Me being on a team that that was in the 8-10 and going – going to be number three in the country, uh, that proves a lot. Uh, uh, helping a team or leading a team to doing what we did this season like is a lot. And uh, a team from the A-10 don't, doesn't always get a lot of credit. And bringing a lot of credit to the A-10 was, was really good. But I have, to, I have to give credit to my teammates also because without them, I wouldn't do anything. So I give credit to them too, but uh, having having all that uh, all that is, is amazing. Uh, helping the team uh, go undefeated in, in the car, in the not or in our conference is also another uh, good pointer. So I, I just feel like with with what I did this season, with what my team did this season, uh, I feel that I, I deserve that award. He is. Uh, up for the Carmelone Award for the best power forward in college basketball, as well as the Wooden Award for the nation's player of the year, consensus All-American, Obi Toppin. Dude, it was a pleasure not only speaking with you, but watching you all season long, man. And, and you know, I, I sincerely mean I wish you the best at the next level, but best of luck. Yes, and you left a lot of great memories, not only for Dayton fans, but for those of us that got to watch you guys all season long. Yes, sir. Thank you so much for having me. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.